0: I'm sure, he was thinking, This is the weirdest thing holding me right here. <laughs> Please turn in the word to Isaiah. We'll actually begin reading in Isaiah chapter eight. And if you're using the Bible that's in the pew, you can turn to page five hundred seventy-two. begin reading with verse 11 of Isaiah 8. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. I apologize. My contact. I've got a contact that looks with the distance and one that looks near and the one with near is. Hazen over, so <laughs> I'm, I'm having trouble reading here. Now, when he says don't call conspiracy, it's the idea of people uh, being so fearful and suspicious of that which they don't know and being undermined by it instead of trusting in God. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait For the Lord. Who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now, let us stand for the reading of this remaining portion. Let us stand. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, open up your word to our understanding, our lives to your word, that we may believe you afresh and conform Our ways to the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, lead us to worship Him anew. For it is in His name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we set some context for the passage that we were going to deal with. And I want to set some context for this very famous passage in chapter nine that speaks of a son being born to us. And it's found in this chapter right before as the Lord lays out two amazing responses to himself. And I want to read a quote to you from the great commentary by John Oswald on Isaiah. And he says this to begin, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 8. The attitude we take toward God will determine what aspect of him we will experience. I want you to think about that. The attitude that we have toward God. Will determine what aspect of God we will experience. You have this in verse 14, an amazing statement. Just the two words are right back to back. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense. To one person, because of what they're bringing to the table, he becomes a sanctuary. To another person, in their response, their attitude toward him, he's a stone of offense. This same God. One experiences him as a sanctuary. One experiences him as a stumbling block. A place of destruction. This one God. Now, sanctuary, we can think of several things this means intimacy, doesn't it? to know him and delight in him. We got a card recently from uh, friends of ours who and, and the Christmas card was from the Colorado Rockies. Nye, 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 nye. <laughs> Here we are in the Colorado Rockies, and you're not no <laughs> but they had gone to the Colorado Rockies and their four children. About 20 to 27, right in there. And there they all were, right there in the Rockies. Well, you might go to the Rockies and say, we're going up there. We're not gathering facts in the Rockies, but we are going to learn. We're going to see. We're going to know things we didn't know. But the knowing is to experience and delight in it as well, isn't it? You see things, and as you see them, you become in awe over them. You Embrace them, so to speak. You delight and enjoy. You're transfixed by them. And that's the kind of knowing in the sanctuary. An intimacy with God so that our heart goes out to Him. We admire Him. We wonder at Him. We want to imitate Him. We want to give ourselves to Him. That's the kind of knowing in the sanctuary. The sanctuary also means safety and protection, refuge. We find forgiveness. We find rescue from judgment and condemnation. We find as well a place where we, of all things, we sinners and rebels, are honored in Christ. Can't imagine. How could it be? We're given a kingdom in Christ. We who deserve punishment. We're given a position alongside of Christ. How can He share His goods with us like this? But He does. What a place of refuge and safety and protection for us forever. In this place of safety, in this place, he's dedicated himself for our good, that everything in our lives will work to the good purpose that he has for us. And this, is a, this sanctuary is a place of strength where we find resource, we find help. The sovereign one will so work in our lives so as to make us instruments of good in this world. Sustaining us in the midst of difficulty and tragedy so that we are able to love even when the worst things happen to us. So here's the sanctuary, intimacy, safety, strength. And yet another person responds in stumbling. Let me read further what Oswald says on these verses. Those who will not make a place for Him, that is, those who will not make a place for God, <laughs> I can read the rest of it. Those who will not make a place for Him will keep colliding with Him and tripping over Him. For He is there where they, whether they acknowledge Him or not. Because He is a fact. Of which their hypothesis, that is the hypothesis that I can and will live life apart from him. okay that's what he means by hypothesis. He is a fact of which their hypothesis does not take account. Their experiment will keep failing and he will be the cause of it, not because of some vindictive streak in him, but simply because he is and they're trying to live as if he were not. You get what Oswald's saying is that you cannot ignore this God or you will stumble over him. You cannot play like life is without God or you will run headlong into God. And look at the contrast. Either you enter into this rich, glorious place of sanctuary where there is intimacy and safety. And, and, and strength or in rejecting him, you will stumble upon him and be bruised and broken and finally destroyed by him. This one who offered himself to you as a sanctuary. And then he becomes a stumbling block. And you can think of different areas of your life in which this could happen. A person decides, I'm going to give my life to immorality. I'm going to make that my way of life and turn away from God. You see, his word of purity, his word of faithfulness within marriage, his word that sexual practice should be within marriage. That's an expression of his character. That's an expression of his authority. It's a transcript of his very character. And to ignore that is to stumble upon him, you see. It is to be destroyed instead of running into the sanctuary of his commandments and his will, whereas... Jesus puts it by abiding in his his commandments, you abide in his love. As we've said before, you put yourself under the prescriptive care of that physician who is so gracious as to tell you how to live, how to be healthy, how to be healed, how to flourish as a human being. And we constantly put ourselves under his care as sanctuary So if we try to push into the edge, if we ignore him, if we collect other gods and try to find our satisfaction in something other than him, other ways to protect ourselves, other ways to comfort ourselves beside this God and apart from this God, we stumble on this God. He will not be ignored. And it is. Frightening to see these two words put right there. He'll become a sanctuary and a stone. Sanctuary and a stone. And so, as Oswald says, the attitude that we bring to God is, determines what we experience of God. And this is only heightened... As we come to this revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, this son who is born in chapter nine. This drives the wedge even further into our lives for in the person of Christ, the glory of God is in unveiled as never before. And first, as he talks about it in chapter nine the light breaks out in the most unlikely place in Galilee. Galilee was the place where the Assyrians first took part of the land. And it was also regularly the place from which attacks would come because they would usually come from that area and crash in upon Israel. And so news from uh, Galilee was never good news. And that's where corruption tended to occur and idolatry would break out on the edges. It was like a frayed edge, the armpit, so to speak. And that's why when they were first confronted with the person of Jesus, they would say, could anything good come out of Galilee? You know, there's no way that this could have anything to do with the Messiah. But isn't it glorious that from the place of darkness and in this time, the place of Assyrian encroachment, the place of danger, the place of destruction and darkness, that's where he wants the light to break out. That's where the light is going to come out of that land. And there is at least a a parallel for us, isn't there, that the Lord The lights in bringing out of the darkest things in our lives, the weakest things in our life, our failures, our brokenness, our pain and corruption, our enslavements and helplessness and despair. Paul, you know, expressed this in Second Corinthians that he had this thorn in the flesh and in that weakness, the Lord says, my strength will be made known. So we get to bring to Him the worst parts of our lives and He delights to somehow an amazing grace and strength to take those worst parts of our life and somehow bring glory to His name. They're, they're not reasons for despair ultimately. They're, they're reasons to say, boy, I've got the worst thing this physician ever thought. Found, this this particular physician has ever seen and now he's going to show his glory by even healing that and it will be an honor to his name forever because of what he does there's the pattern of the revelation of this one who is coming out of galilee that that's underscored also in verse 4 when he says that you will break the burden and the staff and the rod as you did at the day of Midian. Because you remember, that was when, uh, with Gideon, he had 32,000 and God reduces them to 10,000 and reduces them to 300. And then with 300, he routs this innumerable army of Midianites. Again, to underscore in our weakness and brokenness and helplessness, then the strength of the Lord is made known. And, of course, what a sanctuary that is for us, a sanctuary that welcomes us in in the utter inability and enslavement and sin that we find ourselves. Now, the backdrop here to chapter nine is also found in chapter seven, where we read of a child that's going to be born to a young maiden. It's not specifically it could be more specific in the Old Testament to say she was a virgin But every other indication of this word in the Old Testament was an unmarried maiden. And as several commentators have pointed out, it allowed there to be a reference for that day and yet hold hope for a final glorious reference as Mary was the the real virgin that gave birth to this child. But the important thing is that three times in chapter seven, he's called Immanuel, with us. God, God with us. And here we see the the divinity of this son who is born in verse six. This child is born, this son is given, and already there is the intimacy of this one who's coming to us, this identity of the one who is coming to us, that though he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Though he has a throne and a kingdom that will never end, and this goes off the chart of any human possibility. It doesn't simply say God is coming to us. And if you didn't have verses, if you didn't have the first two parts of verse six, and he just said, One is coming who is mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you'd say, Well, God's coming. He's coming intimately, He's coming in person, He's coming to manifest Himself but it begins as there's this description a child a son and so the face of vulnerability of transparency of identity one who is like us and yet one who can be called mighty god and so in John 1 we read of the word who made the worlds created all things And in verse 14 of that chapter, the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. So that in a a way unprecedented, unimagined, God reveals Himself, shows Himself, comes to us intimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. This Son, who is at, at once the wonderful Counselor, a wonder of A counselor, literally. This El Gabor, the mighty God, the father who is not just temporary, but a father who is everlasting. And a father who does not impose a tyranny as some supposed fathers and rulers do. But a father who actually lays down his life for those that he comes to rule over and serve. And a prince who brings shalom. Uh, In the Hebrew, it's beautiful, Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Now, in the New Testament, what's interesting is that Jesus himself is called in 1 Peter 2 and in Romans 9, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This statement that's made in chapter 8 of Yahweh, Yahweh being either a sanctuary or a stone of stumbling, that this is taken up in the New Testament and it's applied particularly to Jesus Christ. Because this Yahweh has now come in the most intimate way to reveal himself. And glory has been unveiled as never before. And so we are presented with this Yahweh and all the more we must choose. We must deal with either he's going to be our sanctuary or he's going to be a rock of stumbling. Paul says this in Romans chapter two, speaking of the final day. The final day of judgment, he says, on that day, according to my gospel. Uh, Sorry, I can't read. God judges the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this interesting? In his gospel, he's proclaiming the good news. But in the good news, he proclaims that God will judge the secrets of men through Christ. Now, if you trust in Christ, there is no greater glorious sanctuary than that on that day when you've trusted in Christ. Christ is your brother. Christ is your savior. Christ has redeemed you from all of your sin. Now, Christ is your judge. There couldn't be better news. Talk about the good news of the gospel. I proclaim to you one who died for sinners, who welcomes you, who will forgive all of your sins, who will commit himself to you and join himself to you, who will give you all of his kingdom, and he will be your judge in the last day. You have nothing to fear. You have good news. Good news that there is then no more, as Paul says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no other judge but Christ because all judgment is given over to Christ for His people. But then, dear friends, what if you've turned away from Christ? What if you've refused Him as that sanctuary? The only sanctuary, the only place by which we can come and embrace God and be embraced by God. The only place by which we can become intimate with God and have God's protection and have God's strength forever. And we reject him in favor of any number of the offerings in life of other idols, other gods. For our satisfaction, our comfort, our strength, whatever. Then in that last day, to look in the face of the one who died, who offered himself, and I turned away. Then he becomes not my Savior, not a joy and a place of safety in that day, but the very rock of stumbling, the rock that will crush me. And you've heard me say it before, but in the cycles in Revelation, it Revelation takes you, one interpretation is it takes you through the cycle of this life or the world. All the way from beginning to judgment. Six or seven different times. And one of those cycles ends in in Revelation chapter 6. And it describes people crying out that the rocks and the mountains would come and crush them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. That phrase. The wrath. Of the Lamb. I should be enjoying the forgiveness and the protection and the sanctuary of that Lamb, but now I'm bearing the punishment of that Lamb. And I'm crying out for rocks, I'm crying out for mountains. Crush me, pulverize me, destroy me, hide me. I'm crying out for any amount of pain and destruction to hide me from the destruction of the Lamb. attitude that you bring to Christ determines what you will experience of God but here's the helpless thing but at the same time the wonderful thing is that all of us by nature will stumble upon Christ all of us all of us by nature We'll look at the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and we'll shrug our shoulders. Oh, we may say, I think it's a great story. We may be moved. We may all kind of things response. We may think it's neat to be with certain groups of people and sing hymns and be a part of some kind of ministry, etc. But unless God works in our hearts. In the powerful way described by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 where he says he has to shine in our hearts so that we would see the glory of Christ. He said, just like in creation where he said, let there be light. Do you realize God has to say to each one of us, to Darwin, let there be light in his darkness. Let him see Christ. Let him really see Christ. Let him embrace Christ. Let him love Christ. Let him trust Christ. Let him give his life up to Christ and adore Christ. Let him begin to be like Christ. That's how lost we are. Here's the encouragement, though. The final phrase of this chapter 9 passage we read. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's called the Lord of hosts. Yahweh of Sabaoth, Yahweh Sabaoth of, of, of host. This means that this indicates the great power, the unlimited influence that he has. And therefore, his zeal is going to be carried out. His zeal is going to be accomplished. He's the Lord of hosts. This word zeal is sometimes translated as jealousy, but it, it means That he has this unlimited passion for your good and unlimited passion to protect you and to keep evil from you. And he has this zeal that comes after you to draw you to himself. Imagine a a husband whose wife has left him and she not only leaves him, but she begins to. She had already begun to get involved in drugs, and she continues in drugs. And over a period of several years, they she left him. They were age 25, and by the time she's 33, she's been with dozens of men. She's been on crystal Met for years, and he sees her one day on the street. Most of her teeth are gone. She's 32, but she looks like she's 72, and a worn-out 72. She looks horrible. She's emaciated. She smells. But he sees her, this woman that left him, this woman that has destroyed her life. And there's nothing about her that's attractive, and everything about her is offensive. And in his heart, he has a passion for her, a love for her, a devotion for her. And he takes her in his home, and he nurtures her back to health. And he helps her get off the drugs, and he continues to be patient with her, and her many failings, and he continues to love her. And she has reconstruction, and over a period of time, she's at least presentable, you know. Someone that can stand beside him and someone that goes with him wherever he goes. And even though she bears the scars of her weakness and her adultery and her failure and her addiction, he loves to call her his wife. (laughs) And everything that he has becomes hers. And he honors her and treasures her wherever he goes. See, that's the zeal the Lord has. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you are. That's not the issue. has a zeal to do you good he has a zeal to rescue you he has a zeal that you might experience him as your sanctuary and that you not stumble over him and be broken by him and that's why in the words of paul he says it's as though god were urging you through us he says we beg you be reconciled to god How can God do that? How can God, the almighty God that made us to whom we owe everything, how can he come and urge us in this way? The zeal of the Lord gives this Son. The zeal of the Lord brought about the birth of Jesus Christ. The zeal of the Lord is seen in the bleeding body of Christ on the cross. The zeal of the Lord is seen in the resurrection of Christ. And the zeal of the Lord is seen to each one of you who have heard the gospel. It's no accident that you have heard the gospel. Billions have not. I... I urge you, don't stand in judgment one day and be one of the ones that heard of Jesus Christ and you turned away from him. Oh, I urge you. A God of this passion and this love, can you not put your life in his hands? Let us pray. Oh, Lord. Gracious, gracious King, in your humility and your love, in your zeal for our salvation, you came after us that we all were addicted to our idols, addicted to our other passions, sleeping with everything else but our husband, our true husband who made us and formed us. Oh, Lord, thank you that there is nothing that we have to hide from you. We don't have to make excuses. We don't have to drum up some kind of righteousness, some kind of merit. We come to you empty-handed, exposed. But there is a sweetness in that confession to just tell you exactly who we are and what we've been. All of our failures and weaknesses and spiritual sickness and paralysis and deadness. And you will be our sanctuary. You will heal us. You will protect us. You will forgive us. You will even give us your kingdom. Oh Lord, thank you. In the words of Paul, He who became, he who was rich became poor so that we who were poor might become rich in Him. Oh, we praise You, Lord Jesus. We praise You. And if there are any here who have, in their blindness, even as we did in our blindness, refused You and not seen Your glory, and not seeing you worthy of giving their lives away, oh, may they do so even now. May they trust you. May right now they begin to find you as their sanctuary. Oh, may none here stumble upon you, be broken by you, when you offer yourself so freely. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.